Okay, let's bust those Bibles out, huh? All right, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in verse 26. Why don't we stand? And we're going to, it's just a, a few verses here, shorter passage than normal. So we'll uh, read the scriptures, bow our knees to it in our hearts, and, uh, and dig in today. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation? Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, let your women keep silent in the churches For they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant." Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Lord, as we come to this uh, conclusion of the chapter and and this series on spiritual gifts, uh, Lord, I pray that you would just stir up in our hearts the gift that you've given us. If we're a Christian here today, we've been given a gift, Lord, and there's many here who've been wrestling the last six weeks about what their giftings are and and how to use them in the church. And I just pray that your spirit would just show us today, just do a a breakthrough in our life, Lord, and and just charge us to be involved in this church and to be using the gifts to build up the brothers and sisters around us. Lord, we even pray that, Lord, as we come to a a controversial passage, a, a passage perhaps even at first reading here this morning, just cause people to go, whoa, I don't know if I want anything to do with this Bible stuff uh, concerning women and speaking in church and things like that, Lord. I just pray, God, that you would give us the plain sense of the text. Lord, may we understand the context and may we weigh things in light of culture. Lord, may we see just the things that are uh, continuing today, Lord, that you would have us have continue uh, in all the churches, Lord. And Lord, that we would bow the knee to you and to your word and not to ourselves and our own desires, Lord. We just pray that you would be glorified as the word is preached and proclaimed in this place. Point our eyes to Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, we've been uh, doing about a six-week series here on uh, spiritual gifts, uh, starting in chapter 12, going through uh, chapter 14. Uh, Some things that we have gleaned so far in looking at gifts of the Spirit is that these gifts are gifts given by the Spirit. Multiple times in chapter 12, we see that the Holy Spirit distributes gifts as he wills. If you're born again here today, uh, you've been given a gift or maybe gifts uh, to serve this church and to show a manifestation of the Spirit of God. It's a very exciting thing to realize that God has great care for you and great love for you. He's thoughtful towards you, and he knows what gift or gifts are just right for you. Isn't that exciting? But we also see at the beginning of chapter 12 that there are a diversity of gifts. I mean, there is a kaleidoscope of beautiful colors of all these various gifts And no one gift is the same. It's a beautiful thing to see that. There's also differences of the the use of those gifts and the administrations of those things. And God is in it. God is in it. 
As we'll see today, there's order and there's structure in the use of those gifts. But man, uh, a gift of teaching for one guy might display itself different than a gift of teaching in another guy. Or, or a gift of encouragement comes out different in this gal than it does in this gal, and, and so on and so forth. It's a, it's an, it's a great thing. Uh, it kind of gives us some freedom that, hey, not everyone's called to go door-to-door evangelizing. There's a diversity of gifts. There's a diversity of ministries, and God's in it. You might be called to share the gospel in a different way. And door-to-door is just not, hey, I don't feel the Holy Spirit calling me that. Praise God. All right? He's calling you to share the gospel with someone in another method or by another means. And so we see that God is the distributor of gifts. He gives to each one as he wills. I think it's chapter 12, verse 7 that says that. He gives to each one according to his will. Uh, Oh, there we go. Thanks, man. Uh, The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one, and it's for the profit of all. We saw that last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, I think it's in verse 12 and in verse 21. It's for the edification of the saints that we've been given these gifts. And so I hope that you've been encouraged. I hope that you've been stirred as we've realized that a Christian's been given a gift. And we went through, one of these weeks, we went through the list of the gifts as we've seen them in the scriptures. And maybe you've just sensed, man, the Lord, I feel he just, he gives me the gift of wisdom to just speak a word that's fitly spoken and brings peace to a situation. Or, or maybe you're a different person, you're like, man, the Lord's given me the gift of a word of knowledge that, you know, at certain times he'll just show me what's going on in an individual's life that only him and the Lord know about, and the Lord shows me it, and I speak it out, and it's a testimony to this guy that the Lord knows what's going on. Maybe the Lord's given you the gift of encouragement, or the gift of administrations, or the gift of helps, or as we've been studying these last couple of weeks, maybe the gift of prophecy. And we studied here in chapter 14 that the gift of prophecy is it's the Lord speaking a word to people. All right, as, as someone gets an impression or a feeling, just man, I just sense that the Lord would say this this morning to you or share a scripture. And we studied in chapter 14 that in verses 1 through 4, we see that prophecy, it's a word of exhortation to men. It's a word of edification towards men from the Lord. It's a word of comfort towards men. And it's very edifying, very edifying to have someone prophesy over you or prophesy over the church. All right. Uh, we see the gift of tongues, and that the gift of tongues, it's actually the reverse of that. It's actually man declaring the marvelous works of God, and it's a, a prayer language, a worship language, and a language that the speaker does not know. And we've seen just the, the use of the gift of tongues here in chapter 14, and that it's necessary that there be an interpreter. All right, an interpretation of a tongue. Would it be prophetic? Would it be, thus saith the Lord, here's what he has to say to you today? No, but a tongue interpretation would be, it would have the theme of praise to the Lord and worship to the Lord from man to God, uh, prayer to the Lord. I hope you've been getting that as we've been learning more about the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy. But we see out of all of these gifts that, uh, that there's, a, there's two polarizations. There's the, the one side that you might say, oh man, I just have the best gift out of all of them. And no, we don't even need anybody else. I mean, I've got like 13 gifts and I've kind of have my own private church in my own self, you know? And, and we see, no, that's, that's not right. Because there's a body and there's diversities of gifts. And in chapter 12, he says, we are like a human body. And, and man, we need the thumb. And you might be the thumb here in this church. And man, we need the vocal cords. And you might be the vocal cords in this church. You might be the ears. You might be the modula oblongata or something, you know. We see Christ is the head. All right? You're necessary. And you can't be by yourself. But the other opposite would be, the the polar opposite would say, man, I don't have, I have like one gift. And it just seems like no one knows I'm using it. And it's, you know, it's done in secret. Like, I have the gift of plunging toilets, man, you know. And when we're at the church, I can get that toilet freed up and get the next guy in, you know. And no one knows. No one cares. I'm not needed. Are you kidding? You are needed, all right? And you are necessary. And so we've been studying in this series that, man, don't think that your gift isn't important. No matter what it is, it's from the Lord. He was thoughtful about you, and he said, I've got this beautiful gift that's going to edify the church, and it's very useful, and so don't think that you're not useful and don't think that you're so useful that nobody else is needed. But we've noticed that in all of these gifts, man, the greatest gift, the most necessary thing is love. 
It's love. Man, you might be able to speak in tongues and prophesy that, and, and you've got the gift of giving in such a liberal way that you're willing to like lay your body down to be burnt, chapter 13 says. But if you do that and you don't have agape love, you're nothing. It profits you nothing. And in fact, you're actually harmful and it's tough to look at and tough to hear. You're like a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So we would encourage you, if you're new to the church or you've missed some of these spiritual gift studies, to get on the church website and listen through them, because uh, there's much to say, too much to say on a Super Bowl Sunday. And we're going to just continue our study today by looking at the gift of tongues and wrapping that up and wrapping up the gift of prophecy. As we started there in verse 26 of chapter 14, we see that there's order within the church. There's an order in the way that God wants tongues to be used. And there's an order in the way that he wants prophecy to be used. And so he says there in verse 26, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Now remember, within the Corinthian church, there was disorder going on. There were people that were using their gifts uh, in a uh, disorderly way, in a selfish way, um, in a prideful way. Uh, and so, you know, it's not bad that there's a, a plethora of teachers or tongues or revelation and interpretations, but there needs to be order. And it needs to be thought of that, man, all things need to be done for edification. That would be the purpose that I would speak out this prophecy. That would be the purpose that I would pray out in this tongue. It's for the purpose of edification and building up the church. Listen to what D.A. Carson, just a fantastic mind and a, and a wonderful preacher, great at just pulling the scriptures apart. D.A. Carson says this, The least we must do is develop structures in which both the emphasis are worked out in proper proportion in the total life of the church. It is vital for us to have some kind of framework in which the congregation has the opportunity for interaction at the level of mutuality. All these gifts and all these prophecies and all these tongues and all these revelations and all these interpretations. And as Carson says, it's vital for us to have a framework put together so that when these gifts are being used, it's decently, it's in order, it's for a mutual edification that people are built up, that it's not just done in chaos. And that's what was happening in the Corinthian church. Well, remember 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 7 once again. I know Garrett had it up there, but it was for the profit of all at the end of the verse. All of these different gifts that, that are a manifestation of the Spirit of God. It just means God has shown up. It's obvious. It's for the purpose of the profit of all. And so let's look at how, well, then how does it work in the public setting? Well, verse 27 tells us if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. Okay, so do you guys getting any bit of structure out of this chapter, any bit of order and how the gifts are to be used? It's very simple. Just a simple reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If anyone speaks in a tongue, here's what's to happen. There's clear stipulations on the use of the gift of tongues. Two or three at the most should speak. And we all know from last week's study, confusion can come in a tongue when you have people speaking all at one time. Imagine if everyone here just started speaking out something, I got something to say all at once, and just everyone keeps going. It's confusing, nobody's edified, nobody's encouraged. I come from a church where I love the guy that, that would say this, and he's just incredibly gifted in all these different ways, but I would go to a prayer meeting that he led, and he said, hey... I've seen this done in Korea where everybody just prays out at the same time, just as loud as they can, and they shout out to God, and we're like, woohoo, you know? And we would just all start praying out, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm praying anymore. I'm just trying to pray over the guy next to me. I don't know. What to do. oh, God, uh, I'm just making noise now just to kind of keep things going, you know? And I think everybody else was thinking the same thing, like, good for the Koreans, but oh my gosh, what is going on here? In the corporate setting, everybody singing or engaging in a tongue, speaking at the same time, there would be this <clears throat> underlying mumbling that would be going on, perhaps a religious mumbling that would pervade the whole event, whether it's in the Corinthian setting or in my Korean praying setting. 
And in that, no sense of instruction or interpretation or order. And by Paul here, it's frankly frowned upon and disregarded by the clear instruction of the New Testament here. And so the rule and the gift of tongues, if there's no interpreter, they're to speak to themselves and to God. All right? Now, that's if there's no interpreter. So I would speak something to the church today. If you feel that God is giving you the gift of interpretation of tongues, and you're in a prayer meeting like the pulse, and someone speaks out in tongues, and you're like, I know, you know, okay? You know when the Lord is telling you to use your gift. And you're just like, oh, I'm just so embarrassed. And what would people think? And it's like, homeboy just spoke out with faith that someone was going to interpret the tongue. And you're there like, no one's going to interpret the tongue, even though I have it. You know, be obedient to the Lord and step out in faith so that the proper use of tongues in the corporate setting can be used. I think one reason why the church has shied away from the gift of tongues in the church is because people aren't using their gifts in the order that God has, has said it should be done. Now, we want to notice something here, that the speaker in the tongue has control of their utterance. And maybe you've been part of a church where people come together and, I got the gift of tongues and blah, 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 blah. I just can't stop right now. And, you know, I'm going to interrupt the teaching of the word and everyone's going to look at me and I'm on the ground rolling around and no one can talk to me. It's like, man, first of all, there's control that comes. If someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, they have control. They have the ability to stop their tongue and say, oh, no interpretation. I digress and sit down. Okay. There's control that takes place. If there were no interpreter, the speaker is easily able to keep silent and not to speak. Verse 29 says, now we move on to prophecy. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. And this is where the gift of discerning of spirits comes in. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, when Paul tells us to test all things and to hold fast what is good. Or 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Or a group of people that we read of in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, called the Bereans, who were fair-minded individuals. And whenever something was preached, they would receive the word with all readiness. I mean, they had their notes and they were like, okay, okay, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they would go home and they would look and they would study to see if what was spoken was truth. That is a good thing to do concerning prophecy when it's spoken forth. Michael Green wrote a book called To Corinth with Love, and he had several criteria for, t for uh, testing prophecy. First of all, does the word that is being brought to us glorify God? Second, is it in accord with the rest of scripture? Does it build up the church? Is it spoken in love? Does the speaker submit to the judgment of others? Is the speaker in control of himself? Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in the life of the one who is speaking? To Corinth with love. Great things that we just glean from the scripture today on how to test a prophecy. Verse 30, but if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. I was reading uh, John Calvin last night before I went to bed. I'll be honest with you, it was when I went to sleep. Uh, <laughs> it's a great way to put yourself. You got insomnia issues? Read Calvin's commentary on 1 Corinthians. It's good. It's just, you know. And it was incredible how he brought out that, man, when the Holy Spirit is moving in our midst and it's for the edification that each other, that we're seeking to use our gifts and to build each other up in our precious faith and fix our eyes on Jesus, there's not going to be a battle about, I have my word from the Lord now. Shut your mouth. No, you shut your mouth. I want to talk now. But no, there's this deference that takes place. No, I, I defer to you. You know, we're not going to fight over who's got the word from the Lord. Man, this is a time to share and it seems that the Lord's really burdening your heart with someone, I'm going to just lay down my rights and I'm going to look to you first and esteem you as better than myself right now and I'm going to let you speak. It was a great, great commentary. I'm sure Calvin could preach it a lot better than me this morning. But uh, just if someone else has a word, hey, you just be quiet and let the next person go. And then we see the one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Is that happening in the churches today? There's a lot of places where... This order 
is not happening. Verse 32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Man, this is so important when we talk about spiritual gifts. Because there are many churches today who believe that, man, when the Holy Spirit manifests himself, it's like, you know, you get shocked with electricity and you lose all control and all your functions and you just, it's time to go crazy and just blah, 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 you know, rolling around on the ground and vomiting in the spirit and crowing like roosters and trembling. I've seen it all, okay? I've seen a lot of it. I haven't seen the vomiting, but I've heard of it. But I've seen the trembling and the convulsing. I can't stop. And I have to speak out in this tongue and I have to stand up on the chair in church and jump up and down. And it's like, that's, that's interesting. Because it sees, it, it says here, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And that God isn't an author of confusion. Man, I shared my testimony of my first Pentecostal church experience where my mom had to explain to me what I was about to witness before I walked in the door. Okay, you're going to get totally freaked out. You're going to see things that, frankly, you're not going to be able to sleep tonight, you know. <laughs> You know, you're going to be confused and you're going to need to explain to all your friends before they come in here that we're a little bit crazy. Okay. You know, some of this confusion that would take place and disorder. No, we see that God's the author of peace. And this isn't just in Calvary Chapel. Well, God's the author of peace in Calvary Chapel. He's the author of craziness over at this church or over at this church. No, it's in all the churches of God that God is not the author of confusion, but the author of Peace. This is part of the testing of the prophecy. It's part of the testing of the gifts that that we see taking place. Many people think that the spiritual manifestations cause you to lose control and to be overtaken by blabbering tongues or these convulsions. But Galatians 5.22 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit stemming off of love, in verse 23 it says, it's self-control. So how do we know that the Holy Spirit's moving? Well, love, and then love has all these things, and part of the Spirit is that we're building up one another. But I'll tell you, when we get into this part of like no self-control, and I've just got to convulse, and I've just got to wail uncontrollably, and crow, and scream, you know what? It becomes not about the edification of people. It becomes about my own emotionalism. All right? And emotions are good. God's an emotional God, but it's not devoid of truth, and it's not devoid of the edification of the rest of the church. Self-control will be a mark. And you know, I've been a part of hyper-Pentecostal things. I've been knocked down on a Sunday morning. I've had the flash of light go before my eyes, and bam, the ushers caught me and lay me down gently, and then I wail for two hours on the ground after church is over, all right? I just, I had no control of myself for two hours. And the next Sunday, I'm not going to have control for two hours too. And, and after that too, as well. And you know what? It's, it, there's a, there was a selfishness in me. I know that. There was a, a show for man as well. And we see that God's not the author of confusion. And that word confusion is also translated rebellion or riot or disorder. Where there's a lack of self-control, confusion, and disorder exists, and God is not the author of disorder. And when I've seen this kind of disorder, I remember a time when the, the church in Calvary Chapel was being built, and we had it all. It was a brand new, beautiful building on beautiful property. And we had many people from the Pentecostal church coming over and enjoying our facility and and appreciating the teaching from the word that was going on. But they had an underlying agenda to try to to have a move of the spirit come in. And it's going to be a move of the spirit that's going to cause you to convulse. It's going to cause you to lose control. You're going to get a little crazy. And they had this undercurrent of trying to push that into the Calvary Chapel there. But you know what I saw in the midst of this undercurrent of we're going we're gonna to bring something that's going to cause you to lose control and it's going to cause some confusion, but that's okay. It's crazy. God, God's crazy like that. Do you know what I saw as just this foundation underneath it all? This confusion, it was rebellion. There was rebellion in the hearts of these individuals. 
Right alongside this disorder came rebellion to God-ordained authority. There was no submission to any authority structure in these individuals' lives. There was no uh, submission to the elders that God had appointed over them. They had a, a form of prophecy, as we've been speaking, and this prophecy would trump Scripture. Oh, even the Bible's not my authority. My prophecy that God gave me, it trumps Scripture. And it trumps how the Bible says that I have pastors to shepherd me. All right? It, it, rebellion was right alongside this confusion and this disorder. Well, you're not a Pentecostal, Rory. You just need to go to Toronto or to Florida. Nope. God says he's the God of order in how many churches here? We just read it. In all the churches. In all the churches. <clears throat> One man says tongues were not ecstatic, but self-controlled. And some of the extreme elements in the Pentecostal movement have a lot of frenzied and disorderly conduct that worship services in this house, in the minds of some, perpetuate the notion of speaking in tongues. It's a kind of ecstatic speech. But this is not a pattern given in the New Testament even when the Holy Spirit came with overwhelming power at Pentecost, the disciples were able to stop speaking in tongues so that Peter could give his sermon to the assembled crowd. Confusion, disorder doesn't have its place within the church. Now, this leads us right into the next topic here of order within the church, order in our use of spiritual gift, order in the use of speaking publicly, and it leads us right in. Think, follow the context with us, okay? Order in the use of gifts, how to speak out in public, what's going on, and it, it leads right into verse 34. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. But they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Okay, a very controversial passage. Maybe there were some gasps right here as you were reading it. And I've read many books this week, uh, books that are so deep, and I'm just like rereading paragraphs, rereading paragraphs, cross-referencing, searching. And as your pastor, who's accountable to God, I'm telling you that the plain reading of the text and a simple, true exegesis of Scripture and hermeneutic principles, it's not as scary and, and, uh, and confusing as you might think it might be. The only thing that makes it confusing or hard is the sin in us that wants to rebel against God's design and God's orders. And so how do we determine what practices, what situations, what commands or precepts, such as this one, women should keep silent in the church, how do we determine what's a permanent thing, something that should be continued into 2014 and it's relevant to us today, or which ones should be considered temporary and that was just cultural? How do we know what's transferable and what's non-transferable? There's a lot of different opinions on this. There's a lot of scholars on both sides. And I want to give you a little bit of, of uh, hermeneutical uh, of tools here, all right? Uh, some, some interpretation tools today. Let me tell you this. I think I've got four things to speak into this, this situation, all right? Number one, some situations in the Bible and commands and principles are repeatable and continuous. They've never been revoked in Scripture, and they pertain to moral or theological subjects, and they're repeatable elsewhere in Scripture. Therefore, they are permanent and transferable to us today. Here's a few examples. Capital punishment has never been revoked, and it's given to us in Genesis 9-6. Trust in the Lord has never been revoked from Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. And it's repeated all throughout Scripture. Putting on the armor of God in Ephesians 6, never been revoked. Nor is the command for humility in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. An intelligent man named McQuilkin says, all Scripture should be received as normative for every person in all societies of all time unless the Bible itself limits the audience. All right, The Bible is its own authority, even in what it sets limits on, in things that are culture-bound or what is not. Is the command paralleled in Scripture somewhere else? 
This will help determine what commands are repeated, what should be useful for 2014, or what was just for the Corinthian church. The second big thing I want to give you, some of the situations, the, the tough things that we read about in the Bible, the commands or the principles, pertain to an individual's specific, non-repeatable circumstance. It's non-moral, it's non-theological, it's uh, been revoked from Scripture, and it's not transferable to us today. I'll give you a few examples. Paul instructs Timothy to bring his scrolls and his coat to him. Well, the Bible says that we're to bring the scrolls and the coats to Paul. So, you know, we're out buying coats and stuff and trying to make our way to Rome, okay? Doesn't make any sense, right? Or Abraham was to sacrifice his son Isaac, his one and only son that he loves. And so we, we're getting a group of people together once a year to take our firstborn sons and go sacrifice them, all right? Non-transferable, right? A temporary to one individual man. Old Testament incense was punished by stoning. But today, it's different. In the, in the New Testament, we see that there's excommunication from the church that takes place in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Another situation, cultural, is it temporary for just back then, or is it for today? Some of these situations or commands pertain to the cultural settings that are partially similar to ours, and that only the principles are transferable. For instance, greet one another with a holy kiss is mentioned five times in scripture. And it's just not the normal greeting of our day. And so it's one of those that, man, maybe is transferable, but we can do a similar greeting. We can do a similar warm welcome to each other. Another example would be from Deuteronomy 6. Write verses on the door frames and on the gates of your house. We don't do that here in America. We don't write verses on our door frames, but we can put on our desktop computers or on sticky notes or on our iPhones or our iPad fronts, you know, verses and scriptures. So they'd constantly be on our hearts and on our minds. Things that are partially similar to our culture, all right? And the principles are transferable. And some situations, this is the fourth thing, some situations or commands pertaining to cultural settings that have no similarities, but in which the principles are transferable, such as pouring perfume on Jesus's feet or removing your sandals from your feet as you're in the presence of God. Verkler says, behavior that has a certain meaning in one culture may have an entirely different meaning in another culture. And so as we look at this passage that obviously there's some cultural connotations and we want to know what was going in in Corinth and what, what was Paul speaking to Corinth that was just for Corinth and what's a principle that's transferable today to us in 2014 Prineville. And in this passage, we must give consideration to the wider context of the instruction from chapter 14 in the passage we've already been studying this morning, all the way to back to chapter 11, all the way back to chapter 1, and then above and beyond that, what does Genesis 1 through Revelation 22 have to say about the subject? God is a God of order, we know, all throughout the scripture. And we've been studying in this chapter today that God is a God of order rather than disorder. It's part of his character. And his creative pattern in all that he has made is a pattern of order. The way he's created the universe. And the order of God is important in the church and in the home and in society. And so in this passage about women being silent in church and learning with submission, the order is important. The order is important in the home, and it's important in the church. So what's permanent? Here's what's permanent today. Order, role, function, authority, a heart in a woman that is submissive to God, a heart in a woman that is submissive to God-given leadership, a heart that is submissive to one's husband, a husband that would be the head of his home and teach his wife the things of God, and edification within the church gathering, this is all permanent, it's relevant for us today, it's not temporary and just cultural for Corinth. When it comes to the 
important to know this. It's not a match. Uh, it's important to note today that when we speak of a woman's function within the church, we're not speaking of a woman's worth or her value or how much talent she has or her abilities, but we're speaking of God's design, role, function, and order and authority. So people often come to a text and they say, oh, Paul or Rory or Calvary Chapel, they teach that a woman is not worthy. They have no value. Not at all what this would be speaking of. And not at all what the teaching of authority within the church would be speaking of. But rather we're speaking of role and function. Listen to what Wayne Grudem has to say. We must affirm that at the outset in the creation narrative in Genesis 1.27... We read of men and women who are equally created in the image of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Women and men created equally in the image of God. Therefore, men and women have equal value to God and should be seen by us as having absolute equal value in their persons, equal value to the church. Scripture assures men and women of equal access to the blessings of salvation It's remarkably affirmed in the high dignity and respect which Jesus accorded to women in his earthly ministry. Women are so valuable. Women are so useful. Women are so talented. Honestly, sometimes more talented than men, it would seem. (laughs) Maybe have more of a head on their shoulders at times. But we're not talking about that. We're talking today about God's order, his design, and the role and the way he's created things to be because he's God. And clear back in chapter 11, verse 3, Paul tells us, I want you to know that in, an, in the role of things, in the way it's been designed, the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. You need to know this. Equality of worth and value. Men and women completely equal in worth and in dignity. All right? They both are representatives of God, created in the image of God. But there's a distinction of role and function. Okay? It's in God's design. It's not something to be balked at or shied away from. In fact, it's something, we just read it in 1 Corinthians 11.3, that we see within the Trinity itself. Within the Trinity, there's equality of worth. And yet there's this distinction of role and jobs and authority. We see the Holy Spirit testifying of Jesus, telling everybody about Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Holy Spirit is God. Holy Spirit is equal in value and in worth. But he has a role that's to point people to God. And then we have, or to Jesus, then we have the son who in the garden of Gethsemane said, not my will be done, but your will be done. We have Jesus who deferred to the authority and the role of the father. So there's equality of worth, but just distinction of authority, distinction of role. All right. Now we see in first Timothy chapter two, verse 11, a passage that's pretty parallel to this 1 Corinthians 14 passage, okay? This is a pastoral epistle. This is laying out uh, the the role and the function of bishops and deacons. It's moving into that teaching. And, And Paul's telling Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Now, is this just cultural? This is just a cultural thing. This was just to the Ephesians where Timothy was. How would we know if this is something that's transferable? It's a principle that's transferable to our culture today. Is there anything in this text that would show us? Well, Paul goes back to the beginning of time. He goes back to creation. He goes back to God's design. And he says, this is the way that it's been from the beginning. For the last 4,000 years, this is the way that it's been. And as we studied in the four things that I gave you, nowhere in the scripture is this revoked. Is it taken away? Okay. Nowhere in the New Testament do we see that taken away. 
And so what we have is Adam being formed first, then Eve. He doesn't talk about culture in the Greek or Roman world, but rather the created order of God, the creative pattern and the roles that God has ordained. And then he goes on to say, and this is to pastors, this is regarding pastoral leadership, this is teaching, having authority over men. Paul says it, get mad at Paul, get mad at the Holy Spirit. Here's the messenger reading it to you. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Now we have this passage that 1 Corinthians 14 says, let the woman keep silent, okay, in the church. And then we have this 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy 2 passage that says, I do not permit a woman to speak or have authority over a man uh, or teach, okay? Now, there's a nub here that will help us with our understanding of this text. There's a nub. And if you remember a couple chapters back in 1 Corinthians 11, we see that the women were allowed to speak in church. Does anybody remember that? By the way, you got to listen to that teaching from like four weeks ago, five weeks ago. The women were allowed to speak in church. Does anybody remember what the women were to do in the church? They were to pray out loud in the church. They could prophesy out loud in the church, all right? So we see that. So does the Bible contradict itself? Well, context is important. Paul assumed the right for women to pray and to prophesy under the proper authority of 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16. And so our context of our text today seems to speak to either the judging of prophecy something that was for the leadership in the church to do. And it spoke to the issue of disruptive speaking. And so that seems to be where we're at today. We're in a six-week series of spiritual gifts. We're studying about how to use prophecy within the church, how to use the gift of tongues within the church. We just got done talking about if someone were to prophecy, somebody was to test that and to stand up and say, that's not good. Because you see, here's what the Bible actually says, and it contradicts your prophecy. I'm sorry, but you're wrong. Sit down. Be quiet. (laughs) All right? So who does that in the church? Who tests a prophecy in that way? It's the ones that God has designed to have the role and the function of authority within the church. All right? It's, It's the men, it's the elders, the bishops, the pastors... Now, Alan Redpath points out that Paul uses an ancient Greek verb, laleo, which means to actually question or argue or chatter, okay? So what we have happening in 1 Corinthians 14 is Paul is continuing to address a problem that was going on in Corinth. And that was that women were in the worship setting and they had a rebellious heart to the Lord and that was being seen in a rebellious heart to their husbands and that was being seen in a rebellious heart to the authority that God had placed over the church. And in 1 Corinthians 11, we read it, they were taking off their head coverings, which meant something back then. Means nothing now unless you ripped off your wedding ring and threw it on the ground, you know. But they would take off this symbol of authority and they would throw it on the ground and they would say, I'm my own authority. Not the Lord, not my husband, not any man, not any government, not, I'm my authority. I'm going to do what I want. And Paul seems to be addressing that again in chapter 14, where in the culture, this is how it was back then. Women would sit on one side of a church and men would sit on another and there would be talking back and forth. There would be disorder. There would be disruption. There would be chatter. There would be disruptive questions taking place. There would be disorder. And so Paul is directly addressing the disorder that was going on in the church. And he says, there's structure, there's authority. Women can speak in the church, they can give prophecies in the church meetings, but they may not speak up, give evaluation or critiques of the prophecies that have been given For this would have been a ruling or a governing function with respect to the whole church. And then what does Paul do? He lays the responsibility upon the men and upon the husbands. The husbands are to teach their wives the spiritual truths. They're to go home. They're to be the head of their home. They're to wash their wives with the water of the word, Ephesians chapter 5 verse says. 
And sad to say, it's something we see applicable to us today. Many of the men are deadbeat husbands. And it's the women in the church that are leading the men. Let me read from Alistair Begg, a great commentary on this section. The man and the woman are to submit themselves to the Lord. The man's submission will manifest in leadership, and the woman's submission will manifest in her submission to the leadership of her husband. You guys might remember from Ephesians chapter 5, wives, submit yourself to your husbands. As to who? As to the Lord. The creative order of God is such that because man was made first and woman was made from man and for man, a pattern was then established by God in the creative order regarding the roles that these men and women should play. This is an issue of design of God. The woman or the wife is to be subject to her husband. And that principle of a wife's subjection or submission to her husband carries into every sphere of life and therefore must carry into the framework of public worship. If then the mandatory rule of God is for a wife to be in submission to her husband, then the word of instruction which he has just now given for the weighing of prophecies, that is for clear instructive statements concerning what is being said in this prophecy, the weighing and foretelling of truth cannot fall to a woman. She must be silent in the church, the reason being that if a lady is to then interpret the prophetic word or the word of revelation for the church, she is thereby assuming a position of authority over the church because she is speaking the very word of God to the church. And since she is to be in submission to her husband, who presumably is in the church with her, For her to get the word of interpretation and revelation and exposition would be to violate the very principle of her submissive role to her husband apart from anything else. And so, this being said, here we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in the context of spiritual gifts. Let me get there in my Bible. Verse 34. Let your women keep silent in the churches, For they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. We can learn this from the whole of scripture. Are women to just totally be silent in the church? No. There must be something else contextually that's going on here. All right? Women can pray. Women can prophesy. Women can sing. What role is there for a woman in this church? Well, look around. We believe we're being biblical. And we have women that are leading worship. And praying out and reading scripture, prophesying, all right? We have women that are leading in this church. They're leading core groups and they're making disciples. Titus chapter 2 says that the older women are to teach the younger women. And we're having that in a beautiful way. And even this last year, we've been encouraging the older women, hey, step up and teach our wives and, and, and teach our younger teenage girls. Teach the younger There is a kaleidoscope of beautiful, wonderful gifts for women within this church. And women are valuable. Women are useful. Women have wonderful giftings and an incredible intellect that oftentimes trumps the men. But God's order would say, from 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Timothy chapter 3, they're not to have that authoritative place. It's his design. It's the way he has made the role and the function. And it doesn't mean that men are better than women. I can probably think of 15 women that could probably do it better than me. But it's just God's design. And it's where we have faith and we say, God said it, that settles it. God said it, that settles it. We're going to quickly go through the rest of the chapter. And I mean that. You're going to be surprised. You're going to be like, what the? Okay. Now, there's a lot of pushback. There's a lot of resistance to that. Okay? And and Paul just goes on to say in verse 36, did the word of God come originally from you? You you don't like what's being said here? Like, you gonna, what are you going to change it? (laughs) Did the word come from you or was it you only that it was reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. This order stuff within the church and how we use our gifts and how we speak in tongues, I'll tell you, it is ignored in the church because we want to do what we want to do. 
And whenever there's pushback to the scriptures, guess what? It's not God that's wrong. It's us that's wrong. It's us that's wrong. And I'll tell you, man, I YouTube it. You can go home and YouTube it. Speaking in tongues within the church, and what are you going to get? Everybody in the congregation praying out in tongues at one time. And Dateline and MSNBC, they do reports on it. And they come in with their video cameras and their notepads, and they're like, look at these crazy people. Look at them all just praying in tongues. You know, no order, nothing. And it's like, man, look what we're showing to the world. You got psychologists that are hooking up things to people's brains and like, okay, now speak in tongues and I want to see what part of your brain's working. Oh man, it's just stupid, you know? And you know what? I think one of the things that just is going to turn the world off is when we're not submissive to the word of God in the way we use tongues, in the way we use prophecy, in the way that we are husbands that are the heads of our homes, teaching our wives and children and leading by example with servant leadership like Jesus did. Wives that are not submissive to the Lord, therefore they're not submissive to their husbands, they're not submissive to the governing authorities like the, the police, and the, it just trickles down to every aspect of society, to the home, to the church. The things that were written to us today are the commandments of the Lord. Verse 38, but if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. <laughs> All right, that's great. <clears throat> the original Greek reads it this way. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized, okay? It doesn't mean, ah, if you don't get it, just don't get it. No, it means if you're like, forget this stupid stuff, then it means you're forgotten. Don't forget this. This isn't stupid stuff. Let's bow our knee to the authority of Scripture and see what God will do. Verse 38, if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Verse 39, therefore, brethren, earnestly desire to prophecy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. How do you like that? Talking about tongues and how it should be used and there needs to be interpretation or else be quiet. And oh, by the way, hey, women, don't be disruptive in the church service and don't be yelling at people across and don't be asking questions that are just, it's disruptive. Johnny's a teacher and he has a big thing in his class. I've seen it and it says, there are no such thing as stupid questions. There are, however, questions that disrupt class and uh, how does it go? Disrupt class and, you know, are a, you're just trying to draw attention to yourself and all that. Therefore, I will call that a stupid question, okay? <clears throat> Don't let him be your teacher. Oh, yeah, you, Joel, talk to him about that. That sign has got to come down, okay? And that's the same thing here. Man, women are valuable, worth, worth so much, equal image bearers to God. But hey, let's keep the order. Let's keep the order of God. <clears throat> earnestly desire to prophecy, do not forbid to speak with tongues. Do we have that going on in our church? An earnest desire to prophecy, to prophesy? It's a gift that we've studied that's edifying to the whole church. It's convicting and it's convincing to an unbeliever. And although everyone does not have this gift, it seems many in, people in the church can prophesy. As we study this chapter, it seems like a lot of people will have this gift. It seems anyone who receives a revelation from God has permission to prophesy within Paul's guidelines and Paul suggests that many people will do that. And perhaps, as Grudem says, contributing to the problem of spectator Christianity by quenching the work of the Spirit in this area. We should earnestly desire prophecy, Paul says. He's eager for this prophecy to function in Corinth. And he also says, do not forbid the speaking in tongues. We see that in the church today. People are forbidden to speak with tongues. We don't see in the New Testament that tongues has been done away with, so it should be forbidden. I see the opposite when I read the New Testament. Verse 40, closing, let all things be done decently and in order. Your tongue speaking, your prophesying, the way women speak out in order. And guess what? Men have their order in the way they're to speak out. Let it be decently, let it be properly, let it be in order, good sequence, and in kind. We'll have the worship team come on up. We can put our things aside and we're going to get ready to come to the communion table. Let's be real, that was like 13 minutes shorter than normal. All right? You'd go fast too if that was the subject you got to teach on today. <laughs> Just don't listen, just don't question, just go home. Okay, just kidding. Hey, 
question. Let's look at the word together. Let's bow our knee to the authority of Scripture. Let's go ahead and just enter into prayer right now and prepare our hearts for communion. You know that Scripture teaches that in every area of authority, there's going to be rebellion. It's, it's part of our sinful nature. In fact, clear back in Genesis chapter 3, we see that the woman's desire is to be for her husband. It's going to be that she would be the husband. It's going to be that she would be the authority. That's part of the fall. To go against God's design, his created order, And when a wife or when a woman is in that place, it shows that there's a deeper heart issue. There's a sin that she's not in submission to the Lord in some way. But you know what? The opposite of that is that the husband, it says, is going to rule over her. And that's not a good thing. Part of the fall there is that the husband is going to counter that in submission with a tyrannical dictatorship and just be heavily oppressive. And that's part of the fall. And so as we come before the authority of the word today and we just see, gosh, Lord, you've designed it this way. The leadership of the husband, it's not to be a tyrannical dictatorship. He's to serve like Jesus. He's to be the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church and he lays down his life for her. That's headship. Pastors in the church aren't to rule over the people with a rod of iron, but they're to lead as examples to the flock. And just like Jesus, they're to lay their lives down for the flock. And Lord, we just see today how society and culture has just screwed up any authority structure that you've designed. And so we push against that. And Lord, we just bow our knee to the scriptures today and we just say, Lord, order is your character In creation, you're a God of order. In your miracles, you're a God of order, setting people in ranks. In the distribution of gifts, you're a God of order. In the use of gifts, you're a God of order. In the Trinity, you're a God of order. And Lord, we just pray that you would just put away confusion from us today. Lord, just let the scriptures that were read just resonate in our heart. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. The head of Christ is God. And Lord, every one of us here, Lord, we just pray we get our eyes on the head of all heads, the chief, you, Jesus. And you would just do a heart work in us today where we would be submissive to the ones you've placed in our life to be submissive to Thank you, Jesus, that you're the greatest example of this, who though you had every right to stay up on your throne, Lord, you came in the form of man and you humbled yourself and you were a servant and you washed disciples' feet and you said, not my will be done, but your will be done, Father. You had every right to say, no, we're going to do it my way. But Lord, you led the example for us to have hearts of submission. Lord, we just see in our churches today, just when it comes to the use of spiritual gifts, just people aren't submissive in the way to you use spiritual gifts. And Lord, Lord, we want to be submissive to you. We desire for the manifestations of the Spirit in this place, Lord. I think of the pulse this last Thursday and how just people were prophesying and reading scriptures that just hit the heart, sharing special songs that just spoke to where we were at as a church. Lord, just continue that in our body. Lord, distribute the gifts as you will. We'll use them as you will. That the church might be edified and that you might be glorified. We're going to come to the communion table today. We're going to remember that submissive heart of Jesus, how he laid down his life. He was the son of man who 
did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, work in us today as we come to the communion table, a heart of submission. And Lord, even in me, Lord, there's just certain authorities that you've placed in my life that I, I give pushback to because I want to be ruler of my own kingdom and I want to do what I want to do. And Lord, there's a heart issue there in me. Lord, would you just chisel that away today? I repent. Let that be done in each one of us as you're just putting your finger on a spot today. Maybe children with their parents this morning. Maybe citizens with the government that you've placed over them. Citizens against the police or students with their teachers, God. Lord, give us a heart that would represent you. As you come forward, you can grab the communion elements and take them back to your seat and just consider just the authority of God and his design and how he's created things. The New Testament says, submit yourself to God. Before you take communion today, remembering the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, submit yourself to God and partake as you're ready. Let's close with a song and you come forward as you're ready. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.